The primary work undertaken by thieves to maintain their systems of thievery is manipulation. Deceit and lies are the tools of the trade for the thief. And there is no grander system of theft than the debt-based monetary system of the U.S. dollar, enforced under deadly monopoly powers and perverse amounts of public manipulation. The Best in Bitcoin Made Audible I am Guy Swan, and this is Bitcoin Audible. What is up, guys? Welcome back to Bitcoin Audible. I am Guy Swan, the guy who has read more about Bitcoin than anybody else you know. We have got, we're, we're going back a little bit. Um, so I, uh, I got a lot of great feedback, actually, from, uh, there was a piece on the Simply Bitcoin Substack. And a number of you reached out and said that you really enjoyed Proclaim Your Bitcoin uh, Part 1, um, as well as the guy's take after it. I don't believe I'll have a long guy's take for this one, but, you know, take, take that as the worthless claim that it always is. Um, so uh, we'll we'll see at the end of this whether or not we have a good guy's take. But this is uh, uh, Simply Bitcoin uh, made Proclaim Your Bitcoin as a three-part series. Part one, the nature of man. Part two, the current state of man. And part three, the future of man. So we're digging into part two today. It would be highly advantageous to listen to part one first. But he does actually do a decent job of summing up the first part in the very beginning of part two. So you'll, you'll be able to, I think you'll be able to listen to this one on its own and kind of get, like, I don't think it will be a huge loss and you'll still be able to go back and listen to part one and still enjoy it. So I highly recommend it. I will have it linked right in the show notes. You can see it down in the description if you are looking at your podcast player. And don't forget to uh, a boost or upvote or uh, follow on Fountain, fountain.fm, if you use that app. Uh, it, is, it is my current little, my little side mission. It's my little B story. I'm trying to get at the top of the fountain list. That link will also be in the description. Uh, but let's just thank our sponsors real quick, and then we'll jump into this article. And our sponsors for today are CoinKite, the makers of the cold card hardware wallet, the Open Dime the Block Clock Mini, Micro, the Tap Signers, the Sats Card, so many amazing Bitcoin hardware and security products. Check them out. and You guys get 10% off now until Christmas. 10% off with code Bitcoin Audible. And then Swan Bitcoin, the always there for you way to stack Sats automatically every day, every week, every month, whatever you want and automatically withdraw to your keys, to your cold card. And that is literally just the beginning of it. They have amazing resources. They have Swan Private to connect your business, your trust account. Check them out. Go to swanbitcoin.com slash guy. Link in the show notes. And lastly, Fold and the Fold debit card. Fold is simply my way to get sats all the time. Like there is, there is not an easier way that I know of outside of the automatic purchase, this automatic savings plan to just always be getting more sats with all of my fiat purchases. I get sats back with gift cards. I get even more sats back. I get daily spends. I get, I mean, just sats, lots of sats, get the fold card. 
In fact, just for signing up at my link, you get 5,000 sats for free out the gate. Check them out. You'll find them in the show notes. All right. With that, let's kick off the week for today's read from Simply Bitcoin, and it's titled Proclaim Your Bitcoin, Part 2 by Simply Bitcoin. Proclaim Your Bitcoin is a three-part series that will summarize the nature of man, the current state of man, and the future of man. Part 1 is the nature of man, Part 2 the current state of man, and Part 3 the future of man. The Tyranny of Evil Men As explained in Part 1, man must undertake work to satisfy his wants and needs and a man must defend the products of his work from both theft and entropy alike. This constant holds true even if the work conducted is theft. Even if man satisfies his wants and needs by violently taking from others, the thief must also work to defend the products of his theft and the systems that enable his theft, if he is to enjoy his stolen property. The primary work undertaken by thieves to maintain their systems of thievery is manipulation. Deceit and lies are the tools of the trade for the thief. And there is no grander system of theft than the debt-based monetary system of the U.S. dollar, enforced under deadly monopoly powers and perverse amounts of public manipulation. For those organized criminals that work behind the scenes within our governments, our banks, and within all manner of corporate and think tank, quote, institutions around the world, they apply a tried-and-true three-step Hegelian dialectic approach to maintain the supremacy of their theft-based U.S. dollar system. Step 1. Privately identify the problem, a loss of monetary control. Step 2. Publicly identify any other problem, war, terrorist attack, cyber attack, etc. Step 3. Publicly implement the solution. Print more money and more regulations. With this approach, the thieving criminals find a public solution that can meet two requirements for them. First, the solution must solve their private problem, the loss of monetary control. And second, the solution must be able to be plausibly passed off to the public as the solution to the public problem that the criminals create. Once a solution is found that fits these two requirements, the master manipulators proceed to make up, create, or induce their public problem upon the masses, and then they magically roll out the new solution that all of the crime ring has already been prepared for and briefed on so they can roll it out in lockstep to the unwitting public. In this way, they solve their private problem, the loss of monetary control, without needing to explain to the public their actual problem. Bitcoin is currently creating a serious threat to the supremacy of the U.S. dollar. This is the private problem that the U.S. dollar operators will not publicly disclose. This is the loss of monetary control private problem that the U.S. dollar operators are currently contending with. So they need to find a way to rein in Bitcoin with a public problem. As a superior form of money that offers freedom and liberty, the U.S. dollar operators may need a pretty nasty public problem to offset the benefits of the superior money in the eyes of the public. For example, with a ransomware attack that causes damage to a local hospital or electric grid, 
and ideally kills a couple thousand people in the process. The master manipulators could convince the unwitting public of the dangers of the competitive money, and they would then potentially have the public sentiment and political will to roll out their public solution. A central bank digital currency, or CBDC, that would limit the public's ability to purchase Bitcoin. For the criminals that operate the U.S. dollar theft system, in the same way a foreign freedom fighter is a terrorist in the eyes of the U.S. military, a competitive monetary system, like Bitcoin, is an extreme danger and threat that must be destroyed at any cost. The lying, the manipulation, and false flag operations imposed on innocent people in order to mold public opinion is a small cost of doing business for those charged with the maintenance of the debt-based, theft-based U.S. dollar Ponzi scheme system. Unsurprisingly, the organized criminals that work to control the U.S. dollar monetary system do not view their work as theft. In the same way that Bitcoiners view their decentralized, permissionless, equity-based global Bitcoin monetary system as a righteous tool for every person on the planet to voluntarily opt into, the organized criminals view their centralized, permissioned, debt-based U.S. dollar monetary system as the righteous tool to violently impose on every person on the planet under the auspices of freedom and liberty. In the case of the U.S. dollar, the men in charge of it will do what needs to be done to ensure the U.S. dollar maintains its supremacy and control over the world. Those that support the supremacy of the U.S. dollar are the tyranny of evil men. Not because they want to be, but because they must be. Though the advocates of the U.S. dollar may be trying real hard to be the shepherd, until Bitcoin, there was no better system, no better monetary tool, and its design has incentivized horrific, murderous outcomes. Now I become death, the destroyer of worlds. The debt-based nature of the U.S. dollar system imposes a zero sum at best, and more often than not, a negative sum regressive game for the coerced participants. This is the only way to maintain the supremacy of a debt-based scheme, as more is required each year to fuel the endless yield farming and suppress technological innovation. The people in charge of the U.S. dollar kill those that try to use something other than the U.S. dollar because of this underlying incentive. For example, former President Gaddafi of Libya was killed by those in charge of the U.S. dollar for the crime of trying to sell oil in gold-based currency rather than the U.S. dollar. Quote, in 2009, Colonel Gaddafi, then president of the African Union, suggested to the United States of the African continent to switch to a new currency, independent of the American dollar, the gold dinar. The objective of this new currency was to divert oil revenues towards state-controlled funds rather than American banks. In other words, to stop using the dollar for oil transactions. Countries such as Nigeria, Tunisia, Egypt, and Angola were ready to change their currencies. Unfortunately, in March 2011, the NATO-led coalition began a military intervention in Libya in the name of freedom. As another example, in October 2000, Saddam Hussein began a process of switching from selling Iraq oil in U.S. dollars to selling it in euros. One year later, an attack on the United States by terrorists that destroyed the Twin Towers in New York City led to the outlandish notion of WMDs in Iraq. In other words, a story was cooked up in 2001 by the U.S. dollar enforcers, 
a public problem as the pretense to invade Iraq, when in fact the entire operation was from the very beginning nothing more than a ploy to get oil sales back to the U.S. dollar, to stop the loss of monetary control, the private problem of the U.S. dollar operators. Quote, in October 2000, Saddam Hussein did attempt to alter the petrodollar system when he announced that Iraq would sell oil in euros, not dollars. By February 2003, he had sold 3.3 billion barrels of oil for 26 billion euros. With his French and German trading partners, the petro-euro was born, which if expanded would help a euro market develop against lots of other currencies, boosting the euro's strength and eroding the dollar's exorbitant privilege. But one month later, the U.S., aided by the United Kingdom, invaded Iraq and overthrew Saddam. By June, Iraq was back to selling oil in dollars again. The people in charge of the U.S. dollar system will not only use military force to murder people in foreign lands to maintain the control of their monetary system, they will also use police force in the United States to kill people for the crime of not using U.S. dollars. Quote, Mr. Chauvin, the former Minneapolis police officer accused of killing Mr. Floyd on May 25th, was one of four officers who took part in the arrest, which began when a clerk for the Cup Foods convenience store called 911 to report that Mr. Floyd had used a fake $20 bill to buy cigarettes. When a threat arises to the U.S. dollar, the men in charge of the U.S. dollar will do whatever is required to remove that threat, including murder. This is the reality of the world that we live in. The U.S. dollar is a fiat currency because it is decreed or dictated by the U.S. government to be money. If people had freedom and liberty of choice, they would use something other than the U.S. dollar. But they do not have a choice. They do not have the freedom or liberty to choose. They are murdered if they do not comply. There is no freedom or liberty on this planet until people have the freedom and liberty to choose their preferred monetary system. A New Threat It is important to note that the forces that control the U.S. dollar are reactive, not proactive. They have not the foresight nor intelligence to know what threat might arise to their U.S. dollar theft system. For example, a Google search of Central Bank Digital Currency, or CBDC, from 2009 to present shows there was essentially no discussion of it worldwide until after Bitcoin began operations in January 2009, with the peak of CBD search terms this past February 2022. What this tells us is that first, the CBDC was something pushed into development after Bitcoin's successful rise, and second, that because of Bitcoin's successful rise, they see Bitcoin as a competitive threat, and finally, that they are searching for a way to destroy it, and that perhaps they are considering a CBDC as that way. Unbeknownst to the criminal midwits in charge of the supremacy of the US dollar, a CBDC cannot kill Bitcoin. What it could do, however, is potentially slow the ability of people to buy Bitcoin if the thieves do not allow the CBDC to be spent in that way, and that is likely going to be their approach. But don't blindly trust what I'm saying. Verify for yourself. Listen to the head of the Bank of International Settlements, Augustine Karstens, as he explained at a conference in 2020 that, quote, A key difference with a CBDC is that the central bank will have absolute control, 
and that will determine the use, and also we will have the technology to enforce that, and that makes a huge difference with respect to what cash is. A dystopian nightmare. Imagine having no control over how or when or on what you can spend your money. If you thought the US dollar fiat system was bad, just wait until the CBDC dystopia dollar system is mandated by your friendly thieving overlords. Uh, we tend to establish the equivalence with cash, uh, and there is a huge difference there. Uh, for example, in cash, uh, we don't know, for example, who's using a $100 bill today. We don't know who is using a 1,000 peso bill today. Uh, a key difference in, with the CBDC is that central bank will have absolute control on the rules and regulations that will determine the use of that uh, expression of central bank liability. And also, we will have the technology to enforce that. Those, are, those two issues are extremely important, and that makes a huge difference with respect to what, she, to what cash is. So, on the one hand, you have Bitcoin, which is essentially freedom money. As Satoshi Nakamoto explains it in the white paper, quote, a purely peer-to-peer -peer version of electronic cash would allow online payments to be sent directly from one party to another without going through a financial institution. And on the other, there is the CBDC, essentially dystopia money, the perfect mechanism of control by the organized criminals who have no interest in your freedoms or liberties. And it is not only the BIS that is excited about CBDCs, the International Monetary Fund, the IMF, is also excited about dystopia money. Quote, Central bank digital currencies, or CBDCs, are digital versions of cash that are issued and regulated by central banks. As such, they are more secure and inherently not volatile, unlike crypto assets. The IMF is so excited about dystopia money that they make grand proclamations that CBDCs are more secure and less volatile than crypto assets. Why would they need to point out that CBDCs are more secure and less volatile than crypto assets? Perhaps they think they are competing with Bitcoin. According to the IMF, CBDCs help to serve the underbanked in the Bahamas, LOL. Quote, Countries have different motives for exploring and issuing CBDCs, but in the case of the Bahamas, the need to serve unbanked and underbanked populations across more than 30 of its inhabited islands was a primary driving force. That's strange. Maybe the IMF is not aware that anyone with a phone can use Bitcoin today without any permission, and they can send the money to anyone in the world instantly without any censorship. If there was a sincere interest in serving the underbanked, the IMF would look at what is already working and try that. But they are not sincere. They are manipulative, lying, criminal, thieves. These criminals don't want people to have a permissionless money, and they don't want people to have uncensorable payment options. Turning now to the Prime Minister of Canada, Justin Trudeau decries cryptocurrencies as terrible. Here is his recent comments on the use of cryptocurrencies, where he explains that Telling people they can opt out of inflation by investing their savings in volatile cryptocurrencies is not responsible leadership. So I'm adding in the video excerpt that he has posted here just because I want you to hear the 
absolute gaslighting. I want you to appreciate the degree of gaslighting in this slimy creeps short excerpt. Buzzwords, dog whistles, and careless attacks don't add up to a plan for Canadians. Attacking the institutions that make our society fair, safe, and free is not responsible leadership. Telling people they can opt out of inflation by investing their savings in volatile cryptocurrencies is not responsible leadership. By the way, anyone who followed that advice would have seen their life savings destroyed. Fighting against vaccines that saved millions of lives? That's not responsible leadership. Opposing the support and investments that have helped save jobs, businesses, and families during the pandemic? That's not responsible leadership. Now, I heard Mr. Polyev talking about how much we wasted on Canadians over the past couple of years. Let me be very clear. Being there for workers, for families, for seniors, for young people, for businesses, it was the right thing to do. It was the smart thing to do. Having Canadians back is something we will never back down from. By the way, Mr. Trudeau, it's not cryptocurrencies, it's Bitcoin. And I've been investing my life savings in Bitcoin for the past five years. And did I see my life savings disappear? Nope. I have more savings than ever, and I used some of it to buy a home for my family. Seems pretty responsible to me. Make no mistake, Bitcoin is a serious threat to the US dollar fiat system. And every leader that is tied to it will do whatever is necessary to keep the U.S. dollar alive and promote whatever new regime is necessary to maintain its existence or replace it with an even more controlled system, like the dystopian dollar. And it's not just countries and banks that are pulling out all the stops to destroy Bitcoin. The World Economic Forum, led by Dr. Evil himself, Klaus Schwab, is working very hard as well to keep the theft-based U.S. dollar system alive and destroy the freedom money that is Bitcoin. Maybe you've not heard of Klaus. He was the one that got Justin Trudeau his job in Canada. But again, don't take my word for it. Hear it from him directly. He is very proud of penetrating the Canadian cabinets as well as many other cabinets around the world. When I mention our names, like Mrs. Merkel, um, even uh, Vladimir Putin and so on, they all have been young global leaders of the World Economic Forum. Mm -hmm. But um, what we are very proud of now, the young generation like uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, um, President of, Brazil, of uh, Argentina and so on, that we penetrate the cabinets. So yesterday I was at a, at a reception for Prime Minister Trudeau and I know that half of this cabinet or even more half of, uh, half of this cabinet are for our actually young global leaders of the world economic right. forum. And what are our good friends at the World Economic Forum working on? Well, what else but trying to discredit and destroy Bitcoin? 
the one technology that threatens the fiat dollar and the successor of the dystopian dollar. They are very proud of the new Ethereum progress, as it has reduced its energy usage. Quote, Crypto has been waiting for a recalibration towards sustainability, one that not only optimizes the value proposition that crypto and blockchain applications present for crypto users, but also for the new generation of environmental advocates, as well as U.S. climate efforts more broadly. If the run-up to the Ethereum merge progresses without a hitch, it will take place around the 13th to 15th of September. This migration would shift Ethereum, which serves as the technological pillar for thousands of Web3 projects and 71 million Ethereum-based crypto wallets, from its current proof-of-work system to a proof-of-stake system. Such a shift will, according to the Ethereum Foundation, cut the network's energy usage by 99.95% and lay the foundation for further improvements to its core infrastructure. At a higher level, the Ethereum merge could likely change the narrative around the entire industry in relation to potential climate benefits. Okay, let's take a pause right here and thank our sponsor really quick. And you know what? That's, that's going to be the fold card. Not only the, does the fold card literally pay me sats to use fiat, and I get, I get, I've got, I don't even know how much sats back I got today. I'm, I'm almost up to 14 million now, and I actually think I'm going to be using it to buy uh, my Embassy Pro. But they actually just made it so that you can purchase Bitcoin. It is, it's rolled out to like, I think, 2,000 beta testers or whatever right now. But very, very soon, we are going to be able to buy Bitcoin in the app with money on your fold card for no fee. I have already done it three times today because the price is looking gorgeous. I mean, it's low, but gorgeous in the discount sort of way. And with this on top of my swan stack, this is probably going to make me irresponsibly buy more sats than I should. But you know, I don't think, I don't think that's a thing. I don't think there's a possible way to buy more sats than I should. So, you know, let's, let's go. But I get my free sats on the daily spin. I get my 1% base back and a chance or, and or a chance to spin to get 2%, to get 4%, to get up to 100% back on just normal everyday fiat purchases i get the the little metaverse game that they have where i can just pick up sats just on the regular i have all of my referrals everybody one of the reasons that i have shilled this a whole lot is because you get a spin squad anybody that you refer you get just a random amount of sats every time they swipe their card so if you're using the fold card you're actually giving me like 21 sats 33 sats it's not connected to like the purchase or anything it's just you swipe the card and i get like a small random number of sats from fold they just they're just sats sats everywhere and you guys can actually get five thousand for free just for signing up not not like getting the premium card and doing all the stuff and getting some subscription nothing like that just go download the app make an account and they'll give you five thousand sats guyswan.com slash fold link in show notes all right, let's jump back in. So, wait a second. The WEF puts Trudeau in place as prime minister in Canada. Then the WEF pawn Trudeau lashes out at crypto. But the WEF just published a piece on their excitement of the new energy reduction of the crypto Ethereum. So why are we getting mixed signals? Oh wait, I know, it's because Ethereum, like all other cryptos other than Bitcoin, 
are controlled by a small minority of people that can therefore be controlled by those in charge of dystopia money. Got it. Well, let's see what former IMF chief and now president of the European Central Bank, Christine Lagarde, has to say about Bitcoin. Oh, and by the way, Christine is a convicted criminal. While serving as president at the IMF, she was an accomplice to an illegal $400 million payment to friend of former French president Nicolas Sarkozy. Apparently, you need to be a convicted criminal to work at the European Central Bank. Christine suggests that Bitcoin is a highly speculative asset which has conducted some funny business and totally reprehensible money laundering activity, and there has to be regulations. It's a matter that needs to be agreed at a global level, because if there is an escape, that escape will be used. It is a speculative, it's, it's a speculative asset. Uh, by any account. I mean, when you look at the, at the most recent developments upward and now the most recent downward trend, it's, it, for those who had assumed that it might turn into a currency, terribly sorry, but this is an asset and it's a highly speculative asset, uh, which, um, which has conducted some funny business and some interesting and totally reprehensible money laundering activity. Uh, I think that there are criminal investigations that have taken place that I'm sure will continue to take place that demonstrate it uh, very clearly. And, and there has to be regulations and, and this, has to be, uh, this has to be applied uh, and, and agreed upon. It's a matter that needs to be agreed at a global level because you know, if there is an escape, uh, that escape will be used. So I think it needs to be, to be if, if, if anything, it shows that global cooperation, multilateral action is absolutely needed, whether it's initiated by the G7, moved into the G20 and then enlarged, but it's something that needs to be, uh, to be addressed. And, and uh, FATF is clearly an organization that has expanded in that respect. Wow. She's saying the quiet parts out loud. Here we have some clear admissions. First of all, she says it's useless. It's highly speculative. Well, if that is the case, then why the regulations? I mean, if it fails, then why care about it, right? Oh, wait a second. It's because people will use it as an escape. But an escape from what, Christine? From your dystopian monetary system? Yes, that is exactly right. That is the quiet part said out loud. For Team Fiat and Team Dystopia, Bitcoin is an escape from their systems of control, death, and destruction. Bitcoin is a huge threat to the organized criminals and their theft-based horror show. So what do they want to do? They want to impose regulations. They want to keep you from escaping. Identify any problem. Here's what the United States White House recently had to say about Bitcoin. Quote, The United States has been a leader in the digital asset ecosystem. It has used its enforcement tools and led in setting international standards. While our efforts have strengthened the U.S. financial system, digital assets, some of which are synonymous and can be transferred without a financial intermediary, have been exploited by bad actors to launder illicit proceeds, to finance terrorism and the proliferation of weapons of mass destruction, and to conduct a wide array of other crimes. For example, digital assets have facilitated the rise of ransomware cybercriminals, it is in the national interest to mitigate these risks through regulation, oversight, law enforcement action, and the use of other United States government authorities. Digital assets can be exploited by bad actors to do bad things, according to the White House. 
Notice the shift in language. We're not going to dignify Bitcoin as a currency. It has been demoted to the lowly state of mere asset. At least they acknowledge that it is digital. They got that part right, at least. Remember, they will create a problem to push public sentiment to more regulation towards their already concluded solution, a CBDC. Here's what the White House has to say about the benefits of dystopia money. Quote, A U.S. CBDC, a digital form of the U.S. dollar, has the potential to offer significant benefits. It could enable a payment system that is more efficient, provides a foundation for further technological innovation, facilitates faster cross-border transactions, and is environmentally sustainable. It could promote financial inclusion and equity by enabling access for a broad set of consumers. In addition, it could foster economic growth and stability, protect against cyber and operational risks, safeguard the privacy of sensitive data, and minimize risks of illicit financial transactions. A potential U.S. CBDC could also help preserve U.S. global financial leadership and support the effectiveness of sanctions. The manipulation by the U.S. White House approaches maximum clown world levels on this take. Of all the potentialities suggested, only one is accurate. The CBDC would help preserve the U.S. dollar and support sanctions. In other words, it would help to reduce freedoms and liberties. Anyone that studies Bitcoin for any meaningful amount of time would conclude that CBDCs are massively inferior to Bitcoin on all potential significant benefits offered by the White House. All of that notwithstanding, what types of terrible crimes have been committed with these dangerous digital assets? For example, Bitcoin. What narrative has legacy media been quietly programming into the masses for the past several years? The Bitcoin facilitates ransomware attacks by cybercriminals. Ransomware stories really pull on the heartstrings. And what might a ransomware cybercriminal do to stoke the fears of the American public and generate the political will to push through dystopia money? What sort of controlled demolition chaos might such a criminal, read FBI Black Op, be able to do? I'm afraid to say the U.S. dollar managers might have a fire sale cooking up in the works. Scary stuff. It's a fire sale. Hey, we don't know that yet. Yeah, it's a myth anyway. It can't be done. Oh, it's a myth? Really? Please tell me she's only here for show and she's actually not in charge of anything. What's a fire sale? It's a three-step. It's a three-step systematic attack on the entire national infrastructure. Okay, step one, take out all the transportation. Step two, the financial base and telecoms. Step three, get rid of all the utilities, gas, water, electric, nuclear, pretty much anything that's run by computers, which, which today is almost everything. So that's why they call it a fire sale, because everything must go. The programming is strong. When people talk about ransomware attacks, what they are referring to is the situation where some evil computer hackers find their way into a centralized computer system, like the computer system that runs your city's electrical grid as an example, and the hackers will threaten to shut down or cut off all of the power of the city, unless the evil computer hackers receive some specified amount of Bitcoin. There's a nice little article on this issue that NPR published after a ransomware attack of Colonial Pipeline in June of last year. Purportedly, the U.S. Justice Department was able to recover $2.3 million worth of Bitcoin from the criminal masterminds. Somehow, lol. The NPR article is a great example of how to mold public sentiment by tugging on the emotions of the passive reader. I encourage you to read the short NPC article. Okay, hopefully you gave the short article a quick read. My guess is that your impressions were something like mine. 
that Bitcoin is operated primarily by, one, Russian criminals who are threatening our hospitals and energy grids here in the U.S., and that, two, the U.S. needs to regulate cryptocurrencies to stop these nasty Russian Bitcoin criminals ASAP. But in the meantime, at least we have three, our trusted FBI to take care of the bad guys for now. LMFAO. Let's not be passive readers. Let's be active readers and shred this NPC propaganda to pieces like the critical thinking Bitcoiners we are. And by the way, don't get me wrong. I really like NPR. It is a fantastic source for finding out what the criminal mobsters have in store for us next. First and foremost, the article strongly insinuates that Bitcoin is primarily used by Russians. But not just any Russians, mind you. Russian criminal gangs. Quote, The FBI has blamed the attack on a Russian criminal gang, and if the cyber thieves live in countries like Russia, which many do, there's virtually no chance of getting caught. The Justice Department said this week that the FBI covered more than half the $4.4 million in ransom the Colonial paid to the hackers, who are known as Darkside and believed to be based in Russia. This article explains that many cyber thieves live in Russia. First of all, how do they know that? Because they said so? Stop being a passive reader. Be an active reader. And don't take my word for it. Take theirs. Quote, Ironically, cryptocurrency exchanges take place on what are called public ledgers. This means anybody can observe online. But the parties in a transaction are anonymous, disguised with a random number. You see exactly the way money moves from one address and one wallet to another said Straim Amit of Cyber Reason. However, there is no way for us to associate a person with these wallets, and a lot of people have not just one address, one wallet, but have dozens, hundreds. The article purports that many cyber thieves live in Russia. And the article also provides that there is no way for us to associate a person with these wallets. So which is it? Are the wallets anonymous, or are the Russian criminals simply so brazen did they somehow attach their names to the random anonymous numbers that disguise them? Or just for the thrill of the chase? Absolute lulls. And the article notes that the hackers are, quote, believed to be based in Russia. So don't worry about any evidence to support this claim. It's just a belief. We can feel it in our hearts, according to the FBI. Just like we all believe Santa Claus lives at the North Pole. Or just like they believed Russian hackers were interfering with the 2016 U.S. presidential elections for Trump. It's always the Russians' fault. Complete clown world. And the solution to these Russian Bitcoin criminal masterminds. The simple solution to these WMDs. Cryptocurrency regulations, obviously. What a clown show. Quote, Amid all these developments, the Biden administration and some members of Congress are starting to talk about regulating cryptocurrencies. But so far, it's just talk. Don't worry, it's going to get way worse. The question is not if, but when, these criminal psychopaths are ready to launch their next problem so they can implement their solution. And what will their solution be? Who knows, perhaps a CBDC. One thing is certain. Bitcoin is a clear and present danger to the theft-based system of organized criminals. And therefore, we need to be prepared. Be ready for the unexpected, both mentally and physically. Let's not get caught flat-footed. If the psychopaths leave us alone, great. But I wouldn't hold my breath. So out of an abundance of caution, the least we can do is stay diligent, call out the hypocrisy of these criminals, and promote our freedom money. 
The more people we can awaken, the more our chances of getting through this transitional period unscathed. The media machine has itself well greased up and ready to pump into the stupid peasant masses whatever insanity Dr. Evil and the rest of the criminal gang decide on. With the emergence of Bitcoin, they see a real threat to their criminal enterprises. So they're hard at work in their laboratories cooking up the solution, a CBDC, or some other Orwellian regulations, and the problem, a ransomware attack, or who knows what the midwits cook up. Whatever these criminal midwits decide on, the media machine is ready to hypnotize you with their lockstep, fair and balanced messaging propaganda machinery. And I'm Ryan Wolf. Our, Our greatest, greatest responsibility, responsibility is, is to, to serve, serve our, our Treasure Valley communities. The El Paso Las Cruces communities. Eastern Iowa communities. Mid-Michigan communities. We are extremely proud of the quality, balanced journalism that CBS4 News produces. But we are concerned about troubleshooting and irresponsible one-sided news stories plaguing our country. Plaguing our country. The sharing of biased and false news has become all too common on social media. More alarming, some media outlets publish these same fake stories without checking facts first. The sharing of biased and false, false news has, has become, become all too common, common on, on social, social media. media. More alarming, some media Proclaim your Bitcoin. Spread the signal of freedom money far and wide. Wake up your family, your friends, and elected officials to the gaslighting. Share with them all of the facts in this article that explains the current state of man. Man is born free, but he must fight to maintain that control. And Bitcoin is inevitable, but the path to the other side is up to all of us. The new Bitcoin monetary system is extremely dangerous to the current system. We can take the CBDC dystopian route or the freedom route. The choice is ours. In part three of this series, we'll explore the future of man thriving on the Bitcoin standard, based in reality. All right, that closes out part two. I want to hit our sponsor really quick, and then we'll jump back into a guy's take. The cold card is not a calculator. It looks like a calculator, but it is not a calculator. I mean, it calculates signatures, but it's not like, I mean, it's, it's clear. You can, like, see through it, and it's got, like, the screen and the buttons. I mean, it, it feels like a calculator. It is a cypherpunk calculator, but it's not actually a calculator. It holds your Bitcoin keys. It stores and keeps them safe so that you can sign with your Bitcoin keys, and they're never online. They're never exposed to hackers, to crappy apps, that could lose them or have some sort of a problem or an exchange that could just blow up and run away with all of your money or spend $121 million of your Bitcoin on a house in the Bahamas while they're $10 billion in debt. You know what all of those poor saps should have been doing? Holding their Bitcoin on their cold card. Or the, the SAS card or the tap signer or the open dime. You know, honestly, CoinKite has 
just a plethora of amazing, super easy to use, very versatile hardware security devices. So if you like to actually own Bitcoin, if you want to hold your own keys and actually be sovereign, you should probably get one. You should probably get a cypherpunk calculator. It is not actually a calculator, but it holds your Bitcoin keys. But it does, it does look like a calculator. And you know what? Code Bitcoin Audible now gets you 10% off all the way until Christmas. So you're getting it for yourself, getting it for a loved one or a family member. You got yourself a holiday discount. Don't miss it. Details in the show notes. So one thing I wanted to point out is this article embraces a lot of theories um, about actions and wars and things that have been, that have been undertaken in the not-too-recent past, um, or not-too-distant past, excuse me. Um, and, you know, I think there's a typical standoffishness with people who are outside of the perspective, people who trust the system, and, or at least are hanging on to a thread of they're just trying to do the right thing. And I want to change the frame of reference a little bit because, you know, they talk about, like, uh, Iraq was invaded for WMDs. And Bitcoiners and people who know monetary history have a strong inclination, myself included, that it was a currency problem. Um, and there was a massive amount of underlying corruption. We have been in Iraq for 20, 30 years. Like, we've been involved. We've been installing dictators. We've been controlling regimes. We've been manipulating elections. And these things aren't conspiracy theories. These things aren't guesses. These are things that we know about what we have been doing in the Middle East, in Iraq, and for essentially control and expansion or sustainability of the petrodollar system for a very, very long time. And it's funny that the, that the average person will often wait for an official response or an official declaration as to what the cause or what the reasons for these events or these wars or these things actually are. And what's funny, it's, it's almost ironic that it requires acceptance by the establishment in order for the supposed theory to have any weight for a certain subset of the population. And not only is there an incredibly strong incentive for them to do this for monetary reasons, not only is there a historical precedent for them to do this for monetary reasons, not only have they directly, like the, the, petrodollar system as it is, as it is designed, is explicitly done through a military agreement with Saudi Arabia to protect their interests in the Middle East such that with our military support, with the U.S. military support, in exchange for them investing all of their profits and all of their money into U.S. treasuries and support and selling their oil in dollars. Like, this is not a conspiracy. This is how it works. It's just that the average person is not explained this. Nobody says this because that sounds really shady. That sounds really messed up that we're partnering with 
a rather brutal regime that treats people horribly in which there are no freedoms and has engaged in military action and in violent econ and economic attacks on other countries, on other nations, and we have supported them. We have done so outright. I mean, look what has happened in Yemen. Nobody knows what's been going on in Yemen. Just look it up. Investigate. Go to antiwar.com. Go, go to Scott Horton. He will break the entire thing down for you. We are supporting that because of a monetary agreement. But there are still a subset of people who wait for an official declaration that Iraq had some alternative... Um, had some official alternative reason when in my mind here's the real question is which is more believable which is more likely to be true now knowing or having a frame of reference as to which one is more likely does not suggest that that is necessarily the truth it certainly is not evidence um or you know proof of any sort that this is the this is the motivation or that this is the reason but what do we know? We know that their official reason was total bullshit. We know that WMDs was a lie. We have multiple politicians on record admitting it was. And we have them dismissing it as if it doesn't matter now because it was in the past. So your official story is explicitly a lie. So if you're waiting for them to give you confirmation as to why they did the thing, you're literally waiting for a liar, an admitted liar, to tell you another lie so that you can comfortably dismiss the fact that they aren't evil. Because it's a whole lot nicer to feel like these people who have incredible power over us are actually good people. It's a very, very uncomfortable truth to recognize that they are actually horrible monsters, that they have no care whatsoever about our safety or about our lives or our prosperity. It is only in so much as it serves their purposes and their influence that they give the slightest shit about us. But this is in their nature. This is in the nature of people in positions of power. It is not just an arbitrary haphazard saying that power corrupts absolute power corrupts absolutely it is a fundamental truth and if we are not accounting for it we will be the victims of it there's a quote as towards the beginning of this as he's going through basically reiterating a lot of what is in uh, part one kind of the foundation of the premise of this says, the thief must also work to defend the products of his theft and the systems that enable his theft if he is to enjoy his stolen property. I just want to emphasize this point because it's important. There is no world where the people in power do not work to, pre to protect and expand their power. It isn't a, if we have the right people in charge issue. It is a nature. It is the fundamental nature of incentives and the inescapable reality of human nature. Power will be used to protect power. 
That is its entire purpose. So going back to, uh, let's say, Gaddafi or Iraq and the potential reasons for the U.S. involvement. All we know is their official reasons are absolute lies. And then we have this potential incentive and this potential motivation, which is very strong, which has a very long historical precedent, and which even has an explicit agreement between the U.S. and Saudi Arabia that would indicate a willingness to use military to defend exactly that system. And that gets me to another point, actually. The, because I think, and maybe it's some of its perception, some of its, the frame of reference, like the, the Overton window of the average person, and some of it's also the language used. You know, the people who have completely lost distrust in the system and distrust in our institutional hierarchy that they are entirely and completely out for themselves and they prove it over and over again and they are there to instill, control, and protect their power. They are discussed as, as the, the absolute worst, the scum of the earth, absolute criminals and murderers. And there's actually a quote here. So when a threat arises to the U.S. dollar, the men in charge of the U.S. dollar will do whatever is required to remove the threat, including murder. This is the reality of the world that we live in. Now, I think very much in line with the typical language of the non-official theories as to the motivation of state actors, People call them conspiracy theories, but that has been equated with uh, falsehood or made-up crap when, in fact, the falsehood and the made-up crap has been unanimously, for a decade or longer, the official story. That has been the made-up bullshit and lies just across the board over and over and over again. It's almost without fail. It's remarkable, actually. So regardless to the degree of unbelievability of some of the alternative theories as to the actions and motivations of state actors, somewhere in there is more, more than likely the truth. Um, and in fact, it's the only place that you'll find the truth because the official story is explicitly a lie. But the notion of calling them murderers, I think... And I know this because some people in my life who also distrust actually are put off by that a little bit, I think. And kind of for good reason, you know, like it's, it's one of those things, especially when you're in the political environment. A, a good example is kind of the left versus right is the left is always calling Trump a murderer and the right's always calling, you know, Biden is a murderer. Like it's, it's like, oh, my team is the heroes and the other team are literally the devil. They're literally the scum of the earth. But I want to defend this position because I think it's actually a little bit necessarily true. So it's important to understand that this is actually the only thing that gives the U.S. dollar any degree of integrity. This response, this using essentially murder and the the tool of death and the fear of it is actually inherent to how the dollar works. 
So not only does it incentivize corruption by creating it, the, the monopoly means to cheat the economic system, but it also encourages explicit murder to maintain power. But it's because it requires direct violent action. It is a digital unit of currency. It is a, it is a digital spreadsheet, which means that it is only because of violent enforcement that it actually has, that it, that it actually maintains value. It maintains some degree of scarcity with, with the sole exception being the masters of the money are the only ones who can print more of it. So essentially violent action against counterfeiters, against anyone trying to undermine it from within the system by using the unit itself, the U.S. government must take them out. It must kill them. It must take violent action against them to maintain their monopoly to undermine the currency. Because if they don't hold a monopoly, the benefit that they get from doing so is diluted. It's essentially wiped out by, by default, because if everybody can counterfeit the money, it's not money. But understand, this is why we say fiat is proof of violence, because it literally is. It's proof that they will violently attack, that they will take life in defense of their monopoly on the ability to manipulate the currency. If they don't do that, it fails by default. But there's also another really important notion to grasp here because, you know, like I said, you know, going back to the quote unquote conspiracy theorists, the alternative motivations for state actors and their horrible crimes. The, the juxtaposition for how politicians and celebrities in the political sphere is presented to us is a world away from our ideas and the image that we have of murderers. And I think that is important. I think that is important from their perspective. I think that the state is, simply has the largest, has the greatest marketing in the world. Their buildings, their columns, their suits, their lighting, everything is about making them look important, sophisticated, and powerful. And it's hard to see someone like that on the ground with a knife to somebody's throat. It's hard to see our image in our head of murder. And then they're just like enacting policies and passing bills. So it's easy to pass them off as like, this is just how it works. But seriously, what do you call a murderer? Who is a murderer? Because it sounds extreme. It sounds like an exaggeration. But it's literally an explicit, undeniable fact. When you just take off the stupid fairy tale hat of these people are some angelic things, and you just ask, what are their actions? What have they engaged in and supported? And what are the consequences of those things? And were those consequences explicitly part of why they supported it? When 300,000 children are dead... They starve to death. They are murdered. They are collateral damage for a set of policies. And the politicians not only know that this is the case, they were told ahead of time that this was the case. And then in retrospect, they are told again exactly the number 
of people who were killed, and they say it's worth it. Not 300,000 people, 300,000 children in Iraq. I'll leave the clip of uh, Madeleine Albright and her explicitly saying that the price is worth it. And what is that? What is that person? Who, who are they? They take action. They set something in motion. They fund it. They steal money from someone else to bring it into existence, knowing that this will be the result. And they move forward with it anyway. Or not even in spite of it, but because of it. The whole point of starving the population was to undermine Saddam. They didn't murder those children as an accident. They did it on purpose so that everyone would hate their leader. How does that not qualify as murder? Why do we, what about war? Why do we put this in some special category where murder at, at a certain scale is now just like some political game that we justify. And it's just something about us hating a country. And, you know, it's not, it's not, you know, my neighbor is a horrible, disgusting, scary, frightening person because he murdered one person. He murdered somebody in his family or maybe a stranger, God forbid. But when we're talking about murdering hundreds of thousands of people, starving them to death, of building machines for the explicit purpose of ripping their bodies apart so that they die as efficiently as possible. This is somehow a different category of a different thing where grand, powerful politicians just have to enact these actions upon the world to bring about good results. How does this get a special category? How does this get exemption from horrible, disgusting, serial killer-esque action. In fact, a serial killer is more honest in a way because they don't hide behind policies or procedures or mercenaries that they hire to do the work for them. They literally go about, not only do they limit their scale to what they can accomplish by themselves with their own hands, but they actually do it themselves. They at least do the job themselves. A politician is both a mass murderer to a degree and scale that would leave an average serial killer in utter awe. But they are also too cowardly to do it themselves. They steal other people's resources and they have other people do the actual murdering for them. And then expect to be thanked. Expect to be revered and held as superior to the rest of us for their act of doing so. I know it is typical for some people to kind of roll their eyes at the idea of calling them murderers. But I would ask that you maybe open your eyes a little bit and be honest with yourself about what the hell it is they do. Because not only is that an accurate word, but it doesn't even hit the mark. It is not to an extreme enough degree to explain the things that they do. And the statement of military action, of military support, is to agree to engage in mass murder to support a political agreement, which means the foundation the very existence and the culmination of the petrodollar system 
is the United States agreeing to support, defend, and expand mass murder to protect and further the goals of a known corrupt authoritarian regime that does not give their citizens basic rights and they don't care hmm. i don't think when people try to explain to me and tell me that oh they have our best interests at heart and whatever they're doing is for our own good and we should just trust them because, you know, maybe they get it wrong sometimes, but at least they're trying. I don't think they realize how unrealistic and how utter nonsense I believe that statement to be. There's not a chance in hell that trust, that my trust can be regained by the system or the institutions in charge of it. I am going to take them at their word, too. I'm going to take them at their word, and I advise you to do the same. That CBDCs are good, in their words, the positive externalities of CBDCs, the positive features, is that it will let them directly control how and when we spend our money. That it will let them, quote, put an expiration date on savings, that it will let them control the carbon footprint of everyone and let us know when we've had too much, too much meat, that we have produced too much CO2 in the world, and that they can change the price and charge fees for their climate agenda. That it is a positive that they will have total surveillance over everything that we do so that only their trillion dollar crimes, their mass murder and the destruction of all of our freedoms and economic futures can be executed. But in doing so, they'll get to stop a few petty money launderers and maybe some ransomware from time to time. And, and because of that, it, it'll all be worth it. That is what they say. That is what Klaus has said. That is what Karsten has said as why CBDCs are good. Anyone who views that ideology as anything but the destruction of the world is lost. They are lost in my opinion. And replacing them is the only option. There is no fixing it. They must be replaced their systems, everything about where they are and what they are able to do needs to be removed. It needs to be ended. And I do not think it's naive or silly at all to suggest that they know that that's happening, that they know that's the consequences of, of them failing. We have to succeed. We have to. There's no other option. Anyway, I got a lot of great articles uh, this week. Sorry this one didn't come out yesterday. Um, another great piece from Simply Bitcoin. Uh, always, always fun. And we'll hit part three. Uh, not tomorrow, but um, we will probably hit it pretty soon. So stay tuned. Uh, don't forget, if you haven't listened to part one, that is also a very, very good one. And uh, uh, the link is right in the show notes. And I just want to thank, before we close this one out, Thanks, Swan Bitcoin, uh, CoinKite, and Fold.
for supporting the show and for having awesome. Pro- I literally used all three of them today. Almost, almost daily, I use all three of the products. In fact, the only one that I don't use almost daily is Cold Card. And it's because it's specifically keeping that safe, which I don't have to touch. It is my cold storage. You know, you don't touch your cold storage often. <laughs> but I'm increasingly thinking, because now that I have multiple cold cards, I'm thinking about having a dedicated, I don't know which wallet to use yet, but I'm, I'm tinkering with things. Um, but I want to have a dedicated one just to use cold card NFC so I can use it day to day. And I don't like how many keys I have in hot wallets on my phone. And I want to start getting into a habit of using a hardware wallet with my phone because there's a lot of really great benefits in ease of use. NFC is super quick and super easy. So anyway, um, uh, not to go down a hardware wallet rabbit hole here, but a thank you to the sponsors. And don't forget that there are links and discounts and all the goodies in the show notes to check them all out. Don't forget to check out the Substack for Simply Bitcoin and the many, many articles and blog posts that they publish on here. Um, There's a lot of great stuff, and I've got a lot coming this week, so stay tuned. In fact, I just got off earlier today a conversation with Matt Hill from Start9. I have been uh, getting to talk with him a lot and everything that they are doing over there, and I'm really excited the Embassy Pro is on the way. We talk a little bit about that and the philosophy and of uh, self-sovereignty and self-hosting and where things are going and what the crazy, crazy state of the world is. And uh, it's just a really, really fun rip. Like, we we had a great, great discussion. So that'll be sometime this week, maybe Thursday, um, maybe a Thanksgiving present. And uh, uh, so don't forget to subscribe. Stay tuned. And I will catch you on the next Bitcoin Audible. I am Guy Swan. And until then, everybody... Take it easy, guys. War is mass murder. Conscription is slavery. Taxation is robbery. Murray in Rothbard. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.